8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Asraf Garda. So let me remind you that we'll have that podcast up of our chat with Dr. Tienz Ilof, the um, Executive Director of the FW Declare Foundation. We'll have that um, up tomorrow at about 9 a.m. Check it out on the SFM website, but also check it up on my timeline. Uh, there's some questions. Good evening, Ashraf. You and Dr. Tienz. I think Dr. Tien, I'm one of the people who appreciate your good work. Thank you. Uh, great. Thank you for hosting Professor Ilov. Ashraf, need to listen to each other, build bridges, rebuild relationships, understand nuances in our lovely, diverse country. Okay, great stuff. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to diversity on education. Maybe not what you may think. My guest uh, now uh, is at a university. He's Dr. Sean Muller. He's uh, a senior lecturer at uh, UJ, sp- uh, that University of Joburg, specifically part of the School of Economics uh, academic staff. Uh, so good chatting to you, Dr. Muller, Sean Muller. What would you prefer being called? Uh, Sean is just fine. You're cool with Sean, yeah. yeah. Well, your, your, your Twitter handle says <laughs> peripheral econs. I would think you're very much left of center to say, come on, don't come with, with the usual things. And, and this is interesting why we're talking to you because I've just tweeted now that you argue that a university is not a factory, but it's being run like a factory. Goodness, man. <laughs> what exactly do you mean by that? Well, Ashraf, what I'm referring to really are the dynamics um, in post-apartheid universities. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the two particular issue, issues that I touch on in that article are, first of all, research incentives and how institutions are responding to those incentives as administered by the Department of Higher Education and Training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also pressure on academic staff to either increase throughput of students um, or maintain relatively high levels of throughput. Uh, and in both cases, the the pressure is largely the same. It's it's mostly financial. Um, and that derives from a, from a sort of output-based policy that the Department of Higher Education and Training, as it is now, um, developed. And maybe there were good intentions there. Um, so the idea was to incentivize universities to to improve. Um, but uh, as also economists, and that, that's, a very, that's a very economist way mm, of thinking. Mm, mm. Um, it's also one of the reasons why economists have done a lot of harm in the world, because that sort of simplistic notion, if you just create incentives, then good outcomes will follow. What often happens is that, in fact, you create perverse incentives. Um, so in the case of um, research output, if you think about it, so um, on average, if you if if an ac- academic publishes in an, an accredited outlet, the university will get between a hundred and one hundred twenty thousand rand for that publication, assuming it's a sole authored publication. Okay. Um, now think about the incentives that creates. Is, is your to academic publish. is your academic going to try and publish in you know the the top five journals in a discipline that could take five to seven years to get into, um, and they probably have a rejection rate of about ninety percent? Um, or are they going to go for a really low quality? possibly predatory journal, if, it, if, if there's a predatory journal that's still accredited, um, which they can publish in, in six months. Uh, you know, you don't have to be too cynical about human behavior to believe that a lot of people will do the latter. But, but is that happening? It is happening. It is happening. Um, there has been research done um, about publication in predatory journals by people like um, Johan Mouton at the University of Stellenbosch. And then in the article I cite a working paper um, 
by a colleague, uh, a colleague of mine at the University of Cape Town and his co-authors, specifically on economics. Mm-hmm. And the really disturbing thing about that paper is they actually find that the proportion of predatory articles in economics in South Africa increases with the rank of the academic. In other words, a professor, professors on average, have a higher proportion of predatory publications than, say, a lecturer. And to the extent that the universities are even addressing this issue, they'll often have workshops for sort of junior staff or young academics, mm-hmm. or with the narrative being that this is happening really because people don't actually know uh, what they should be doing. Um, and that's quite misleading. I mean, first of all, if somebody doesn't actually know the difference between a predatory journal and a good quality journal, it is questionable as to whether they should be in their academic discipline in the first place. Um, but the second thing is that it's not just about lack of knowledge. There is a lot of opportunism there, and it's an opportunism that's fueled by the institutions that's pu- that are pushing academics to, to publish at a particular rate, and by the Department of Higher Education and Training's incentive system. So let, let's get this right in terms of the, the, the economic side. Uh, for all these papers that get published, the, the university will get 100 and what, 150, you said? It, no, it depends. Um, but ballpark? But between 100 and 120,000. In rands, right? In rands, yeah. And, and that would be the university only? Um, no. So it depends. Each university has a different system. Um, at some universities, uh, part of the money is retained at, the, at sort of a higher level. Past, part of it is passed down to the faculty and then the department. And then those funds are distributed in a certain way. Other universities actually provide a direct incentive for individual academics. So you can get a certain amount of that money yourself. Either it goes into a research account or in some cases, um, you can actually get it in cash. Okay, so um, so reward for your for your work. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. And, and which one of those things you think is right? So so we we'll, we we'll talk about the predatory element just now, but yeah. Assuming now, let's let's work with the status quo now. Right. Which one of those are right? Or, or no, I think neither is right. I think the problem is that is the idea that by having this financial incentive system, that is going to create the kind of academy in South Africa that we want. Um, and I think that idea is fundamentally mistaken. As, and as I say, it is the kind of thing that gets borrowed by bureaucrats from a very crude kind of e- economistic thinking. Um, some people have suggested that the problem is giving individual academics the incentives, but I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, in, in institutions where they don't do that, you still get the hoarding of that money elsewhere, and you still get the bureaucrats. The bureaucrats are still obsessed about getting the money. They don't really care whether it goes to the individual mm-hmm. academic or not. So, so even if the individual academics aren't directly responding to that incentive, the higher-level bureaucrats are. So I think the notion of the, ince- the, the idea of the incentive system is fundamentally misplaced. And is it widespread in South Africa and widespread around the world or what? Right. So that's a good question. I think this is partly, I mean, South Africa, we do have a habit of um, sometimes following certain world trends unquestioningly, and, and there have been problematic developments in, in higher education internationally. So, so part of it is, is following that. Um, but I think we, we also need to understand that in the South African context, you know, we, we need to build an academy. We need to build a post-apartheid academy. And I don't think that project has been taken seriously enough. And just throwing incentives in there, potentially you could just exacerbate Mm. existing problems, um, first of all. And second of all, we don't have the quality that, say, the top international institutions do. So when you introduce this incentive system into a, at best, variable quality um, higher education system, at worst, quite low quality higher education system, um, you're going to create more problems than you're actually going to... to, um, uh, create positive developments. Fascinating. 0891 My guest is uh, Dr. Sean Muller. He's the, well, he's a senior lecturer at the School of Economics uh, at the University of Johannesburg. You can engage with him and 
debate, thumbs up, argue, or welcome, 0891-10407. That's the number to call in. If you are keen on WhatsApping, you can do so via, you know, via the, the WhatsApp voice note, which is um, 0614-104-107. Got that? 0614-104-107. You can also SMS 40938. And, of course, you can tweet us. Hashtag. Uh, SFM Viewpoint and then tag me Ashraf Gard as well as SFM Radio and yes you will pick up uh, Sean Muller's Twitter handle uh, the moment you find mine some people saying when is it on and of course I think uh, well Teacher Axe Lucky Kazi maybe I hope I got that right saying listening in there so there you are interesting now the basis of us talking about of course was a was an article that I picked up in the Mail and Guardian. And I'm just going to read the first line. I know we've sort of jumped for the head, which is fine. Uh, and it says, if you believe the glossy adverts, puff pieces and award ceremonies, you might think that many South African universities are becoming increasingly impressive by doing groundbreaking research, climbing the international rankings and producing high-quality graduates. Unfortunately, the reality is rather different. And the institutions burnishing uh, off their own public image is a symptom of toxic dynamics that may compromise our higher education system for decades to come. Uh, the, although the crisis has historical roots at the heart of the rot, current rotten core is the financial incentive system. And then, of course, you go on to that blah, blah, blah. Well, what about the rest of the world? What are, what are they doing? Ashraf, I'm going to suggest that that's not, um, that's not the direction we should take the discussion. No. Um, because also, depending which part of the world you're talking about, they're doing very different okay, things. Okay, but give us perspective at least. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to the extent that the rest of the world comes into this, um, I, I would, the, the rankings issue is also, is also another problem. So a number of our institutions are chasing university rankings. And mm. rankings are just a different kind of incentive system. I've also written a, um, a paper um, touching on that. Um, it's a bit of a zero-sum game, you see. If you've got, say, the top 500 universities, um, if one university goes up, another one has to go down, right? So um, that also means that your ability to climb those rankings is a function of what other universities are doing. Um, but there's lots of ways of rigging the system. And basically, pretty much all uh, all universities internationally are doing this. What they do is they figure out how the formula works for a particular ranking system, and then they target the particular indicators. Um, and th- there, are, there are strange things, like, for example... So they could be yeah. failing elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. But, but in terms of, how, let's call it how the judges view that according yes. to that criteria, they will satisfy that criteria, but there could be lots of weaknesses elsewhere. Yes, and this is a very well-known problem. You know, once you develop a formula, that formula is going to... is. You know, the formula might have been justified at the beginning, but the formula is going to cause people to change behavior. Um, and in the case, I mean, but in this case, the formula is problematic to start off with because what they choose is metrics that can be easily measured. So, so one, one well-known problem is teaching. Teaching quality is very hard to measure, and it's very hard to compare across institutions. So most of these formulas just ignore it. Um, and if you think that in a developing country like South Africa, one of the main purposes of, of universities is, is, is to have quality teaching and mm, produce quality mm. graduates, then the rankings basically tell you nothing about that. Um, but the rankings may well be what your university bureaucrats are chasing. Okay. Now, how would you then change this? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I actually started writing about these issues um, around 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, and at that point in time, my view was that there needed to be a gradual transition 
Um, once you've set up an incentive system, you need to be very careful about just withdrawing it because you, you've created a sort of ecosystem around these incentives, around this formula and so on. So if you just withdraw it, then the, the institutional culture is sort of going to collapse and it's not clear what, what will take its place. Um, the thing is the Department of Higher Education Training has done virtually nothing mm. since then. At best, they've started sending out warnings um, and the NRF has started sending out warnings about predatory publications. Um, and, you know, that, that's great. That, that's a nice and start. Just, just help us with the yeah. definition here. Predatory publications right. I mean, that sound like you're hunting but but just in in academic terms predatory publications means what yeah I mean so there is a little bit of a gray area but the, the basic idea of predatory publications is that they're not they're not credible journals they they're often they run for um, commercial gain by the actual publishers okay. um, and so as a result uh, what they want is is they want academic often um, one of the one of the tests of whether something is a predatory journal or not is whether an academic has to pay to publish in it. Now, okay. it's not the only test because there are credible journals where academics do have to pay because they have to cover the costs of, of the actual running the journal. Um, but typically, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship where the publishers get money from the academics. The there's no serious peer review. Um, so basically, because the publisher gets some, gets money from the academic for publishing, they have no incentive to turn down anything. So it's it's, it's mm. basically it's a it's a fraudulent journal. And yet, then, then why would then why would then people, uh, academics, then uh, engage in this way in big numbers? Because so long if as... Is, because I'm thinking about fake news. And if, if something no, absolutely. is not true, then, then why would they want to do no, that? No, absolutely. I mean, so the first thing is that so long as those journals were accredited um, by the Department of Higher Education and Training, and they have a very long list of accredited journals, um, then the academic would get the, would get the credit for that mm. unit. The university would get the incentive and so forth. So, um, I mean, the Department of Higher Education and Training has been trying to weed out predatory journals. Um, there are, as I understand it from others who work on this, there are still some on the accredited list. Um, but it's also important to remember that the predatory journal publications are the most extreme. I mean, it's basically a form, in my view, of academic fraud. Um, and people should probably be fired for that um, because you're essentially you're not just you're not just misleading people um, you're taking money from the state that you shouldn't be getting because of the existence of the incentive system and you're clearly you know you're either ethically lacking or you're lacking in terms of competence but it's also important to say that even if you got rid of the predatory journals you still have extremely low quality journals um, I mean, the, the notion of what is, a, is, a, is an acceptable academic journal is actually quite a philosophical question because it's about academics themselves. Um, but, it's, but the point is also that academics will, to the extent that they're basically trying to maximize the amount of money or the credits they get or the units they get for promotion, um, a lot of them will be targeting these lower quality journals. And the question is, what is the social value to that? What is the intellectual value of them publishing in those journals? Well, I mean, that, that is the big question anyway, right? So I've asked for calls, and, and if you wish to engage, you can certainly do so, 0891-104207. And, and here's the, the big the big broader question. Um, the university is not a factory, but it certainly seems to be run that way. And that, that, by and large, is according to Dr. Sean Muller, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Johannesburg. He's not talking about UJ, I think he's talking about old universities. Let's just get that right. <laughs> uh, is for, uh, so, senior lecturer at the School of Economics uh, at uh, UJ. You can, uh, you can certainly tweet us if you like as well, hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. And particularly if you are you know, if you're someone who's, who's had work published in South Africa and abroad and, and been peer-reviewed as well, then I would, I'd like you to give us your thoughts on that and tell us what you, what you make of the, what, accusations, allegations, or whatever the norm may be, and would you change anything at all? 0891-104-207. The show is called Viewpoint. What's yours? Cherry Jazz Festival 2018. <laughs>
on the 10th of November at Fixback Showground. We have Sabotsula, Hot Sticks, Fusinova, Tamito, Mamiki, Duhai, Singu, Amanda Black, Distraction Boys, and many more DJs. NIC, Buddha, Finzo, CQ. Tickets available at Compute Ticket from 300 and 350 at the gate. Remember, no pass out. Gates open at 10 a.m. Quilla box allowed. One per person. Cherry Jazz Festival 2018. We saved 22% on the cost of this radio ad by recording it on a cell phone with no music, no sound effects, no producer, no fuss. You could also save up to 22% on your life insurance premiums by going direct to One Life. No paperwork, no medicals, and no increasing your premiums for 24 months. Plus, if you get an obligation-free quote now before the 9th of December 2018, you stand a chance to win your share of 100,000 Rand. SMS Life to 44143. One Life. Changing lives. SMS rates and T's and C's apply. One Life is a trusted authorized FSP. 8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. University is not a factory, but by and large they're being run that way. Lots of things, incentives done that puts money into the university. They may not necessarily be for the interests of the university and education, in, in certainly in our country. Dr. Sean Muller with me, Senior Lecturer at the School of Economics at uh, University of Johannesburg. Let me pick up what I call Mr. Malamba. I've got you on the line. Uh, welcome to the show. Go ahead. Hello. It's technology these days. Yeah. They have to use the internet. They have to use the, I mean, uh, the e-learning. All right, you're, you're, you're on the air, right? Yeah. In that system, so that or probably they don't want to go into the new system because. A okay, lot hold of it, Mr. Mr. Malambo. Mr. Malambo, you, you're missing something. You're live on the air now. You're speaking to Ashraf Ganda. So, with regard to what we've been talking about, the university is not a factory. What do you want to say to that? Yeah, I just want to ask. I mean, they say university, university is not a factory, but now my question is. How are they going along with the time? Because the model of teaching, which they were doing 60 years ago, and they, I mean, the lecturers who have got experience of 60 years ago with the modern day technology, where we have to use e-learning, one lecturer has to teach a lot of them, probably can teach people in Cape Town or in Durban or internationally. How are they prepared to change or probably they are not prepared okay. to change because okay, that, they will lose? All right. That would be a broader question on, the, on basically the nature of, of teaching. And I'll, and I'll pick that up in just a second. Thanks for that uh, call. Uh, you you want to answer? Because we're going to talk about student throughput, throughput rates as well and whether that would be linked. But well, maybe just go ahead and answer that question. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say on, on the e-teaching side. I think mm-hmm. um, there is certainly a move towards that by all the institutions. And there are good reasons and bad reasons for doing that. The good reasons are harnessing the value of technology in order to improve teaching. The bad reasons are actually um, related to issues we'll talk about now, which is actually getting as many students through the system at as low a cost as possible um, with as few staff as possible. Okay, how? so, so let's talk about that part then um, in terms of throughput rates because one of the issues that we've had uh, with a few people in the last few weeks here is that South Africa has got to produce uh, graduates that, that, that meets the challenges of not just the changing country but the changing world, right? Mm. Are, are we get for that based upon what we... No, I don't right think now? so. 
Um, and I also think that, again, we, we have made a lot of errors um, in this regard. So, for example, the National Development Plan it has a focus on, on PhD graduates, and mm. that's great. Um, the problem is it doesn't really say anything about quality or which areas or so forth. So, sure, I mean, universities can produce PhD graduates. Are they good? Um, have they written their own dissertations? Sorry to be blunt about that. Um, what, what areas are they actually writing PhD dissertations in? So, similarly, so, so yes, there's, there's no doubt, and also as an economist, I'm very well aware of this in terms of the literature on economic growth and so on. Um, education in South Africa at all levels is really going to be fundamental for determining whether our economy grows, whether it grows in a way that's beneficial to the majority of the population and so forth. So education is fundamental. But education quality, as we know in the basic education system, uh, is, is as important or more important than numbers. And I think that recognition exists broadly in basic education. Higher education has escaped that kind of scrutiny. Um, and in fact, my mm. view is that what, what the state has been doing, and I say the state because it's over multiple administrations, is they've been pushing more and more students into the higher education system to basically make young people believe that the state is delivering. Um, but they haven't... Well, it would be a measure, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it would be a measure, but it's, it's superficial. And what they, what they haven't been uh, delivering on is, is quality and, and resources. Um, and so that also manifests... So universities also get um, money from the state, part in response to the number of students they produce. So again, universities are trying to essentially get students through the system as quickly as possible and preferably pass because when they graduate, the university gets a certain amount of money. Um, so my view is that actually the problems in the higher education system, in the, in the education system as a whole, are basically being kicked down the road. So firstly, from basic education, the quality is not good enough. Then you have excessive numbers of, mis- of admissions into the university, which mm. makes it look like, okay, great, you know, more, more young people are getting university education. Um, now we're pumping in... Uh, uh, I think it's what 57 billion extra over the medium term because I also work on public finance for for f- sort of free higher education um, and the consequences of the low quality education and pushing graduates through so university bureaucrats can get more money will only be felt maybe in a generation's time but when it is felt um, it could be quite serious. Huh? How serious in terms of... Well, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen when you have a bunch of university graduates who are promised a better life on the basis of their university education and can't get one because the quality of the education they got but was inadequate? Okay, at the moment, it's not even about the quality. They can't even get jobs based upon what they're studying, right? Yeah, I mean... Assuming it's, that the edu- education is fine. So there's a little bit of a controversy in, 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 in local economics about the extent of um, graduate unemployment. And the argument is that graduate unemployment is still significantly lower than non-graduate unemployment, and that is true based on the statistics. Um, what hasn't been adequately researched is graduate underemployment. And so, I mean, to take an example from a different country in the UK, they actually have a, an excess of PhDs, particularly in things like English literature. So you get somebody who might... Um, actually, I know somebody who, who studied medieval literature at Oxford. They got a PhD, or what's it's called a DPhil, and they ended up working as, as basically a very low-level administrative secretary. Or um, you see jokes going around, you know, what um, what kind of PhD graduate would you like to flip your burger in McDonald's, you mm, know, okay. in London, mm, right? Mm. So, so that's in the UK context. So what we don't know what's uh, in South Africa is, is the extent of underemployment. So are graduates being able, as you said, being able to get jobs in their areas? Um, so, so yes, that is part of the problem. Um, but I think we also don't, you know, we're not paying a lot of attention to quality coming out of the university system. That's partly because it's hard to standardize. Whereas in the basic education system, the graphs and the numbers that have really shocked people are the international comparisons. Yeah, and those yeah. are done by getting um, school children in different countries at the same age level to write the same tests. Why, why is it so difficult at, at high education? Um, because I think you have much more diversity in terms of the curriculum, first of all, um, but also there just hasn't been an effort to okay. make such comparisons. Interesting. Let's yeah. get another call. Jay 
You're on the air. Hello, Jay. Hi, good evening, and good evening to uh, our guest. Thank you. Yes, Ashraf, in regard to um, the um, factory system of producing educators in a very primary level is so appalling. Just the other day, uh, my neighbor and I were discussing about this teacher was left. I'm in a practically a semi-rural area. She left the primary school here and gone off to Kauteng for a higher uh, position. The pupils in that class didn't even know the phonic system. And it was so tragic that my neighbor's son is such a brilliant child. And I think I could promote him twice over at the level what he is uh, going on. And yet the children in that class hardly knew any of the phonics. Yeah. So what kind of a quality of teachers is that? Okay, let's 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 find out. You know, Dr. Sean Muller is operating at a higher level in terms of, of university, but let's see if he can answer that as opposed to what happens at schools, right? Thanks for that call, Jake. Can you? I can actually say something that, about that yeah. because I have worked on um, I have worked on some issues relating to basic education. Um, I, I think the problem in that particular case is you don't actually know whether it was the teacher or whether it was the mm. context in which the teacher was teaching. Um, but certainly, you know, teachers uh, a, lot, a lot of our teachers um, the teacher training colleges were closed down, um, and teachers uh, are being produced by universities. And so, to the extent that there are quality issues within the universities themselves, that that could well manifest in the quality of the teachers being produced. We know that a lot of our teachers are not in are not adequately qualified to the extent that we've been able to get information um, on on their ability to even, I mean, there have been some shocking results on... So on, if, they, if they're not yeah. adequately qualified, then how, how can they be then? You're quite right. right. That would be an uproar if that was at high school or primary school. It's not being discussed because somehow there's this maze of higher education, isn't it? Well, wait. So, so, so the point I was making was about um, was was indeed about basic, at, at, was about basic okay, education. Sorry, in terms of that, was about basic education, education. Yeah. because we don't have assessments at at um, the higher education level. Um, but what I would say is that really quality in South Africa is 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 determined on a very ad hoc basis. Um, having studied overseas, knowing, for example, how the American system works. I mean, there are lots of problems with the American system, um, but it is. Um, Certainly, quality, I would say, is, is not an issue there. South Africa, there's no, there's no real staff, there's no serious staff development. There have been some ad hoc programs that have been introduced recently. Um, people get hired when a post is available. Um, it depends on who the head of department is and who the, who the particular committee is. So there is, there's very little consistent quality control across uh, South African universities, in some cases within South African universities. And so okay. that, will, that will necessarily manifest in, in the quality of the teaching and the okay. graduates that you it's get. It's probably something we need to put to the Minister of Higher Education some other time and Make notes on that one there. Let's get to another call here in Kalanga from Durban. Hello. Hey, Ashraf, how are you? I'm good indeed. Go ahead. Yes, man. I mean, doctor, has this thing of true put ratio? Yeah. What do you mean, true put rates, yeah? In Kalanga? I think we've just lost him. Okay, you, you want to just guess what he was trying to well, say? Uh, well, can, I would like to say something about that. Up, I mean, yeah. let, let me just give you a scenario which has played out. I mean, I've had experiences of this. I won't say where, and, I, and colleagues have as well. Um, you, let's say you, you run your course and you run it to the best of your ability. You grade your students, um, preferably anonymously, so there's no bias involved. You have an external examiner, and you find that your pass rate is, say, 55%. So in other words, 45% of your students failed. There's a good chance that you're going to get called into your HOD's office or somebody else's office, and they're going to say to you, you have a very low pass rate. Why is that? 
Can we not do something about that? In some cases, you'll get academics uh, in, other, in other departments, not in my department, um, but in other departments in some universities, they'll get called in and they'll be told, look, this needs to be 80%. You need to have an 80% pass rate. Um, and that's completely unacceptable. My view is that... So, so they wouldn't... Because I, I would have thought they would look at two things. Is the standard of the, of the class too low or is the standard of the teaching too low? You're saying they would sometimes disregard both and say... We need to get to 80. Oh, absolutely. And, and like it's make, very, very a, make num- a plan? That's very, exactly. Very numbers-oriented. Um, and so, you know, there are two things about that. The first of all is that it clearly has disregard um, for what the purpose is of universities. The purpose of universities is not just to pass people. It is, in fact, quality control. I'm, I see my job just as much as failing students as passing them. Um, that's the nature of, of controlling quality, making sure they've learned what, what they need to learn. The second thing is that my actual view is that it's a violation of academic freedom, and that's something that we've not had a chance to talk about. But academic freedom is protected in the South African Constitution. And although it's under a section that's about freedom of speech, it's very clear if you go back to the intention of the drafters that they envisaged a very broad conception of academic freedom, which covers also the autonomy of the academic in terms of what they teach and mm. to some extent how they grade. And if you have an external examiner and an internal examiner who both say they're fine with your pass rates, they're fine with your questions, they're fine with your content, then what possible basis would you have for pushing up the pass rate? And yes, it's possible in some cases a bureaucrat uh, or a higher level manager might have some reason for that. Um, but in the vast majority of cases, it's just numbers driven. It's numbers driven because there's a financial incentive and they want to get the students out of so, the system so because having the students pass. in the system is costly. Yes, absolutely. And that's fundamentally wrong. I, I take it, we're going we're to wrap up. I take it you, you've raised this at, at a higher level. What has been the pushback? Um, look, the <laughs> so when you say a high level, you know, within institutions, we have these different structures. You have departments, you have faculties, mm. you have senate and so forth. Um, and, you know, one of the issues we haven't, we haven't touched on is the question of institutional culture. Mm. And a lot of our institutional cultures are not receptive to raising these issues. Um, and so that's part of the problem. You can raise the issue and it's going to fall on deaf ears because, because the individuals involved, the, the managers or whoever they are, um, are responding to a different set of incentives. But the point I would make is that, and I'll just put it bluntly, the rights of academic bureaucrats are not protected in the Constitution. The rights of individual academics are protected in the Constitution. And I think that's the issue that we must focus on. So as I say in my article, the notion of collective accountability, you know, it's been a bit of a joke in relation to the way it was abused by Jacob Zuma and the state capture faction, but in the university, the way a university is structured and the way it's conceptualized in the context of academic freedom is such that each academic has to take responsibility for what happens in our institutions, mm, mm. and we are protected in doing so. So I think we really need to take that role much more seriously, and there needs to be pushback by academics who care about these issues against these distorted incentives. We need to have discussions with the Minister of Higher Education and Training. We need to have discussions with the department, and we need to have discussions with our vice-chancellors, because the way our universities are being run is just not acceptable. Maybe this is the opening salvo. Thanks for your time, Dr. Sean Muller. You're on Twitter. Tweet all the things you've said as well. We'll have a podcast up as well tomorrow morning. But tweet the article too and anything else that you want to bring up uh, beyond that. I'm certainly looking forward to engaging on that. Dr. Sean Muller, Senior Lecturer at the School of Economics at the University of Johannesburg. Appreciate you giving off your time.